This episode is sponsored by The Principal Center. The Principal Center is a provider of professional development for high-performance instructional leadership. Go to the website principalcenter.com. On this website, you can find a lot of resources and services on leadership. And now, let's go to today's podcast. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. Today we are going to listen to an interview with Professor James Spillane. He's a professor at Northwestern University in Chicago and he is going to talk about distributed leadership. So about a decade ago, or a little longer now, I guess, time flies, um, I became very interested in the role of leadership, um, in particular because my earlier work had focused on efforts to implement policies about teaching and learning in schools, mm. and of course, over and over again, the importance of uh, school uh, level leadership, our district level leadership, local government leadership, mm. kept coming up. Yeah. And as I approached the topic, I uh, was somewhat frustrated by the field um, because despite the evidence, uh, we continue to fixate on the person at the head of the organization, mm. the school principal, the district superintendent, um, and also a, a, a huge inattention to the practice of leading. Mm. Um, which seemed kind of odd to me. So, so there was maybe a mismatch between what, what was kind of drawn in the hierarchy diagram and what was actually happening. Exactly. And we weren't capturing what was actually going on on the ground. Hmm. And a paper by Hallinger and Heck, I can't remember the exact um, paper, uh, talked about the need for attention to the practice of hmm. leadership. Hmm. Um, so I started to try and reconceptualize school leadership using this distributed perspective, mm. uh, drawing on work in um, uh, cognition, in particular distributed cognition, that basically tried to think about leadership in terms of practice, mm. what actually happened on the ground, how could we study uh, that practice or as practitioners, how could we engage in diagnostic work huh. around that practice? So I became interested in the practice of leading and managing teaching and learning in schools. Mm. In much the same way as a whole body of work has looked at efforts to try and understand the practice of teaching, or the practice of instruction. Mm. And um, I began to think about practice not in terms of actions, the actions of an individual, whether it's the principal or assistant principal or coach, but in terms of the uh, practice in terms of interactions. That actually, if you want to understand practice, you can't just focus on actions or behaviors mm. because they're just inputs into practice. Mm. Um, you know, the, the great uh, Chicago sociologist of the last century, Everett Hughes, oh, yeah. once said that it's not what people do that matters, it's what they do 
together mm. Mm. and work in organizations uh, work in any organization is fundamentally about interacts mm. and so therefore we began to think about the interactions among leaders among leaders and followers among leaders and the various stakeholders you know the thing we often forget about schools as organizations is that they're public organizations mm. uh, they reside in a kind of pluralistic institutional environment where they have to serve the needs of many stakeholders parents, yeah. community members, politicians. And we forget about all that. We just think about it's all the only thing that matters is what goes on inside uh, the school. But mm. of course, the schools are open systems. So I became interested in interacts. I became interested in trying to understand the practice of leadership in terms of interactions among people within the organization. And although I haven't done a lot on this, among people within the organization and outside stakeholders. Mm. Um, and of course, a key part of how we interact with one another has to do with the taken for granted tools and things in our organization that structure, that fundamentally define how we interact, whether mm. it's uh, um, an agenda or a protocol or a routine uh, or a new piece of technology. Um, we tend to think about these things as accessories or aids to practice. Mm. They make us more or less efficient, but that's a really limited way of thinking about them. They actually fundamentally define how we interact with one another and therefore practice. Mm. So that became the kind of overarching conceptual framework and this notion of practice being central. Of course, the fallout from that, which I called another aspect of a distributed perspective, the one that has got most of the attention, but yet I think it's the least interesting part mm. of the framework, which is that there are multiple individuals responsible for, involved in the work of leading and managing, teaching and learning. Mm. in a school yeah, yeah. and you know the, these are other formally designated leaders principals coaches grade level leaders and so on but also informal and people who exercise influence over teaching and learning by virtue of who they are or how they uh, interact with others mm. but to me that's even though a much uh, most of the people who've taken up this distributed notion think in terms of oh leadership involves multiple people that to me is important but it's way less important than focusing in on the practice oh. of leading and managing right. so that's a fallout from it i mean if you if you focus on practice and interacts you can't just focus on an individual. Hmm. You have to think more broadly, I think, about the work. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, there are several myths, things that really have... You see on paper and I find problematic that uh, I would... In, in, in terms, I, I see them as misinterpretations of how I write about leadership, uh, leadership from a distributed perspective. One being that the principal is somehow less relevant, or the head of the organization. Mm. I think that's completely and utterly wrong. Um, yeah. Another being that everybody is a leader; mm. they're not. Mm. They don't want to be. You more than likely don't want them to be if you're a practitioner. Exactly. Um, and I think the third is that the more leaders, the better. 
That's completely wrong. I mean, everything we know from work in social psychology, on teams, that beyond a certain number, you get diminishing returns from more people. Whereas my mother in West Cork would say, too many cooks spoil the broth. Mm, exactly. Um, so we need to get away from these simplistic interpretations mm. of a rather complex set of notions about reconceptualizing leadership. Exactly. You're going to have to intervene because I'm Irish. Yeah, yeah, talk no, 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 no. Talk right? it's, it's interesting. <laughs> so, so, so if, if we say a principal or a head teacher wants to kind of enhance, distribute the leadership, he shall not start with kind of making a new diagram and mapping out. He shall actually start with going out into his organization and then looking what is actually happening there. Yes, I mean, I, I, mean I, I always, uh, in one of the books, Diagnosis and Design, um, the importance of doing, if I was a principal or part of a leadership team trying to rethink leadership in my school, I'd engage in some diagnostic work. I'd say, what's going on here? Hmm. Um, what does the practice of leading improvement, maintaining instructional quality look like hmm. in the everyday life of the school? It's not easy to do as a practitioner because, you know, you're uh, flying the plane and then you're trying to diagnose it at the same time. The, 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 those two roles uh, hmm. are difficult to... Uh, do at once. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's very important. I mean, it's important to ask, where is leadership for maths? Where is leadership for uh, reading? Oh. Um, oh. Um, who's taking responsibility for that? What does it look like? Oh, um, and I mean, to me, you know, there's a big, I don't know about uh, in the Faroe Islands, mm. but in uh, the U.S. there's been a big push to get teachers to study their own practice, to, mm. you know, like video clubs, my colleague Miriam Shern does, where teachers videotape their teaching and then they look at it as a group. Mm. Um, but that strategy, I think, can be very uh Powerful, but I think the same thing holds for the practice of leading and managing. Why don't we actually try and get people to reflect on what's happening at a grade level meeting, mm. what's happening at a faculty meeting? And you can't do that based on uh, people's accounts of what happens because they're notoriously uh, not very accurate. Not because people are lying, but because we're in the moment mm. and we have these very abbreviated um, ways of um, thinking about... Uh, we have these very abbreviated ways of thinking about um, uh, what we do. Mm. Uh, you know, the, I think it's shown or uh, talks about theories in use versus uh, oh, yeah. uh, our um, espoused theories. Exactly. Um, and I think we have to actually be able to, I mean, why not videotape a faculty meeting? Hmm. Why not videotape a grade level meeting? Uh, um, um, and uh, then look at it and say, what's going on here? Oh, that's the kind of, I can think, micro-level work I think that's important. Mm -hmm. But there are other parts to the work. I mean, uh, I really push, um, when I work with teams of leaders from a school, I really push them to ask, well, what are the routines in your organization? Oh. You know, organization routines are staples in oral organizations. They can't survive without them, from faculty meetings to grade level meetings to instructional rounds or learning walks or mm. teacher hiring or teacher evaluation. Um, 
and then to begin to ask, what's the purpose of this routine? Hmm. Why do we do it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And very often people say, well, you know, I don't know why we do it. We've always been doing it. Hmm. And that's not unique to schools. Most organizations will tell you that. Yeah. You know, we have faculty meetings here at Northwestern once a month. And I guess I could come up with a reason for why we have them. Hmm. Um, but I want people to say, what's the theory of action? Yeah, exactly. Um, does it work? Hmm. How do we know if it works? Hmm. Why might it work? Why might it not work? Yeah, exactly. Those are hard questions. Yeah. But they're, they're, I think there are questions that are key, um, and I think people will appreciate their importance um, because think about the amount of time that an organization like a primary school or an elementary school or an early childhood agency spends on some of these routines. Hmm. And it's a huge investment. So I think we should want some returns. We want to know that they are working. Okay. And if not, how can we improve them? Yeah. So, so when you say that distributed leadership is kind of grounded in practice, how it is being played out on an everyday basis, would you then say that you can find some good dis distributed leadership and also some bad distributed leadership? I would argue that you can find good practice and not so good practice and bad practice. Yeah. And that's the same for, I mean, we don't like to talk about this in education because we we have a culture of niceness. Yeah, exactly. You know? uh, criticism is bad, but criticism is at the very basis of, I think, healthy dialogue in any academic enterprise, in any research enterprise. And if we can't critique, we have a problem. So... I would say, just like teaching, there's good teaching, there's not so good teaching, there's bad teaching. The same goes for uh. leadership practice. And uh, I think a distributed framework helps us uh, come to some conclusions through diagnostic, or frames our diagnostic work. Mm. Uh, so yes, mm. uh, there are ways in which if you take a distributed uh, framework uh, to doing diagnostic work on leadership that it will surface some not so good practice and mm. some good practice. I think. Exactly. Yeah. You know? I mean, often, at least in the U.S., uh, leadership practice was entirely divorced from teaching practice, hmm. and that has changed. I think over the last quarter century. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, that rather than thinking of leadership, school leadership, as buffering teachers from interference you know I mean teaching in the US I think has been organized uh, mostly as a cottage industry hmm. for much of the history of public schooling in this country teachers practice as isolates in their classrooms that has hmm. changed radically or at least considerably over the last 25 years yeah. um, and I think teaching in a lot of countries um, maybe not to the extent as in the US was a very private solo practice. Hmm. Um, but as we move more to a collective practice... Hmm. With PLCs and stuff like that. Professional learning communities, yeah. but also saying to teachers who teach the same grade in, the, in a school that you should really... Um, that, you, that, that you should uh, uh, really um, work together and maybe teach the same content and maybe mm. teach it in roughly similar ways exactly. that that would be um, uh, would bring people out of their individual rooms and have to think true stuff together mm. 
Yeah, so James, when you uh, talk about kind of a good practice of distributed leadership, and you also you have so said something about that, it, it's not a matter of just saying that everybody shall lead now and then the principle kind of gets equal to them. So, so there are some issues going on in your conceptual framework that uh, principle has to be the principle. Um, I think the principle is always the principle. I think there's, uh, for legal reasons, for policy reasons, um, hmm. uh, that doesn't mean that all principles practice in the same way. <laughs> they oh. practice in quite different ways. But I, I, I think also, though, and, and I think smart, thoughtful principles uh, know this, there are times when the principle is not in the leadership role hmm. because he or she recognizes they do not have the expertise to perform this task. So they find themselves in a followership position. That in no way, I think, people who are confident about who they are as the denative leader of an organization, that in no way, under, they don't feel undermined by that. Uh, so let's pretend they're, they're trying to reform upper grade uh, mathematics curriculum in the um, uh, primary elementary school and uh, this principal you know never felt very confident about math taught math but thought the primary grades hmm. um, uh, but knows that uh, she has a teacher uh, teaching fifth grade let's pretend uh, who's just a whiz at math uh, and in discussions of how to reform the curriculum, how to implement that reform, uh, this principal recognizes that she is in more of a followership uh -huh. role, yet always the principal and uh, will always be held responsible. I mean, there are things about the way in which we set up schools legally. Um, I mean, in a new study over the last five or six years of new principals over their first five years in the job, we've, been, we've seen this. Um, one of the things that hits principals when they enter this uh, position, this mm. job, mm. is the sense of ultimate responsibility. They're shocked by that. Mm. Uh, not a lot of other things shocked them hmm. um, because most of them have had a long apprenticeship of observation to the job. Hmm. They've been assistant principals, they've been coaches, they've been lead teachers, they've observed principals doing hmm. their work. Uh, and they've done most of the work, they'll tell you, in some way or another. But they've never had the sense of the day they take into the principal's office that the buck stops here now. Mm. I'm responsible for everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I take the job home with me because I know if something goes wrong, I'll be the one that gets the call. Yeah. Um, that sense of ultimate responsibility has implications for their efforts to engage others in the work of leading and managing the school. Mm. And some of them will tell you, I was never a micromanager, yet I felt that I was micromanaging people because mm. I was afraid they wouldn't do it well. So. It's important to recognize that there are things about the ways in which the school system defines the principalship, mm. holds them legally responsible for uh, the work of the school, mm. that can undermine efforts to um, for principals to engage others in the work. Mm. But I think these are not problems we can solve. They're dilemmas that we have to manage. 
like much of the work, I mean, mm. there are problems that principals can solve, but a lot of the work is about dilemmas that they have to manage. Yeah, and that's what we so, so when you talk about distributed leadership now, you talk a lot of kind of uh, about how they lead, for example, the teaching in maths. So, so is, is this distributed leadership closely connected to student-centered leadership or instructional leadership for you? I, I think it can be, yes. I mm. mean, I, I'm, I'm very interested in how uh, the work of leading and managing... I, for me, the term school leadership is unfortunate. I think what we should be focusing on as a field is efforts to lead and manage the core work of schools. That's teaching hmm. and learning. Exactly. And therefore, it is fundamentally about teaching. It is fundamentally about learning, hence students. But some people see that as though when we talk about teaching, we think about cognitive development. I don't think about teaching just about teaching oh. kids how to read and write and do math. Okay. I think about creating good citizens, oh. citizens who are critical. I think about creating moral human beings. Hmm. Um, and I think most teachers will tell you that. Yeah, exactly. um, I think about teaching kids how to respect difference, how to get on with one another, how to work together. That's, this is not an, an, a narrow academic notion of, um, of teaching. And I think the other thing we have to think about is that the work of teaching and improving teaching and maintaining the quality of teaching is not just about work with teachers and students as leaders. It is also work with other stakeholders, hmm. stakeholders that we rely on. So engaging parents <laughs> in the work. Hmm. Uh, Increasingly, schools rely on uh, organizations in their environment, uh, other than government, for resources. Um, you know, people have been talking about the, the de-investment in public education. Um, so schools have to engage community members, and of course they have to deal with government, politicians, oh. etc. Oh. So, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's fantasy to think about focusing in that, that folks who focus in on teaching and learning are too narrow. I think it's only too narrow if you have a narrow conception of what mm. teaching and learning is about. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think most people in democratic uh, societies don't see teaching simply as learning how to read, write, and do arithmetic, mm. right? I mean, we perhaps the policy environment has brought those to the fore, mm. but most teachers you would talk to, and indeed the principals we talk to, for example, here in Chicago, uh, even though they recognize the fact that they have to attend to these performance metrics, uh, they fully recognize also, and they work hard to say, uh, I want to develop the whole child. Mm. Um, I mean... In this book I'm working on uh, about new principles, or about the work of the principles seen through the eyes of new principles over their first five years, oh, yeah. um, these people are managers of development. They're not just uh, managing um, the teaching of math and mathematics and uh, uh, English language arts. Hmm. So, so you have done a lot of research in this area with distributed leadership. Do, do you think it's different, kind of, from Europe and the U.S.? Does it play uh, out? Yes, I think we have to be very cognizant of the 
school system. I think actually, uh, this is some new work I'm involved in, I think we need to begin to think about not just leadership at the level of the school, but we need to think about leadership at the level of the system simultaneously. Hmm. And school systems vary radically. I'm not just talking about the U.S. compared to the U.K. or mm. Ireland mm. or France or the Faroe Islands yeah. uh, or Iceland, where I was yesterday. Um, I, I'm talking about even within the United States, you know, the, the, the notion that there's a U.S. school system is just silly. There are multiple school systems mm. within the United States, not just... Uh, because of local school districts, but we have a Montessori school system, we have Catholic school system, we have Muslim, Jewish school systems, right? Mm -hmm. We have charter school networks. These are all systems. And to understand leadership at the school level, you need to situate it within these systems mm -hmm. because the systems create educational infrastructures. And by that, you know, a lot of, I, I, I talk a lot about situation when I talk about leadership practice, right? It's about leadership gets defined, the practice and the interaction among people um, as mediated by things in the situation. Well, the, 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 recently I've been thinking a lot about situation in terms of infrastructure. Mm. So school systems create infrastructures some well-developed, some not so well-developed, to support teaching and learning. Hmm. That fundamentally shapes the work of leading and hmm. managing. Um, so by that, I mean the obvious yeah. curriculum, yeah. standards, assessments. Some systems have very elaborate, like Ireland has a very elaborate defined curriculum and set of assessments, right? Mm. Uh, other systems, these are very weakly developed. But it's not just about the curriculum, the assessments. It's about uh, how people get recruited, how people get evaluated. It's the routines at the system and at the school level. It's the support that the system mm. operates or provides or not. Mm. Uh, I mean, we talk about the inspectorate in the UK or in Ireland or in other countries. Yeah. Um, US systems for the most part, although that's changing with respect to some charter school networks and some of these other um, comprehensive school reform models, mm. now have people that go out to the school. They not, they're not just monitoring, they're also trying to help improve practice. Mm. It's akin to or similar to an inspectorate, I think. Yeah. So yes, the, the, the simple answer to your question is yes, but it's not, I think, how it's different and how that matters to the practice of leading and managing teaching huh. depends on really a systematic analysis of the educational infrastructure, yeah. both at the system and school level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we started our interview, we talked about this <clears throat> thing about looking at this with leadership as a practice kind of reality. Uh, have you have you done research where you both have kind of questioned or surveyed principals and teachers, and does it look kind of different from the perspectives of the teachers than from the perspective of the principals? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we have. Um, I mean, we, we've done. Uh, over the last uh, 10 years, done a lot of use of social network analysis okay. and uh, how teachers view influence about huh. teaching versus how principals do. Uh, and you'd expect these to be different. I mean, they, they operate in uh, different worlds. And hmm. I think um, that's to be uh, expected. Um, 
I would not just look at the principal. I think here, I would just I would look at the leadership team. I think, hmm. um, despite forty, fifty years of research telling us that it's not what happens in the corner office that is all that matters when it comes to leadership and management. It's a team. Hmm. I, I think we need a lot more work that actually begins to look at who are the formally designated leaders in an organization. Whether I don't care whether you're a full-time teacher but have the designation hmm. of grade level leader or team leader or whatever. How do these group of people think about what are their scripts for the work of the cognitive scripts hmm. for the work of leading and how does that compare with the people that they're leading and managing. Hmm. Uh, now that takes out the informal, but that's a, this would be one way we could manage that. And there's not enough work, I think, done on that subject. Hmm. Um, we're beginning uh, right now to look at the egocentric networks of formal leaders, hmm. principals compared to assistant principals, compared to coaches, instructional leaders, uh, to see, and, and I don't have any results yet, hmm. to see are they similar or different? We have some hmm. slight indications, for example, that... Uh, hmm. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. Um, we have some slight indications, for example, and don't hold me to this, that uh, people who teach full-time or part-time and have a leadership position may play very important brokering roles, huh. quite different from the principal, huh. and that's very interesting to me. Huh. So I, I think there's a whole line of work to be done here wow. on, okay, there are multiple if you take a distributed perspective, there are multiple people involved in the work of leading and managing. Fine. Mm. You can say that until you're blue in the face, but why don't we begin to systematically examine uh, exactly. do these people do the same thing or do they have different responsibilities? Do mm. they have... Um, and, and that's what we're starting to do now mm. in some of our work is... Mm. Um, the other thing we're starting to do, I think, which is is uh, we're beginning to do some system work and comparing to that to what happens on the ground. But... Also beginning to think about how changing the educational infrastructure, such as the introduction of a new curriculum, mm. new routines, how, how does, does that transform out? the practice? How yeah. does that f transform the interactions among teachers, among teachers and leaders in the organization? Uh, exactly. And actually we're beginning in, in, in our work in Nebraska, in a, a district we call Auburn Park, we're beginning to show that the redesign of the educational infrastructure can mm. fundamentally transform practice inside schools. Uh, exactly. You know, I, I think in education, because it's been dominated by psychologists for a long time and now by economists, mm. not that I have anything against either group. I have some of my best colleagues, closest colleagues, are either psychologists or economists. But for too often we've been uh, focused on... Uh, changing individuals, giving them new knowledge, right? Mm. Yeah, that's important, don't get me wrong. Ah. But what about these, the infrastructure, the mm. situation? What about redesigning things in the situation huh. so that we change practice? Ah, and, you know, we have lots of examples of this in our own lives from how we check in for our flights or mm. buy a book. Ah. Those have changed. Those have changed not because we've got smarter. They've changed because of smart devices Technology, that have been yeah. put in our hands. Yeah. And that has fundamentally changed practice. But we don't think like that in education as uh -huh. much. 
Um, I do have to tell you, we just got a, uh, this is one of my favorite recent pieces of analysis. Mm. We just got a paper accepted. It's called The Elephant in the Schoolhouse. Oh. And... Um, uh, I've always been intrigued by the fact that, you know, we think about norms, we think about, I write a lot about organizational routines and how we redesign those, but I've always been, uh, at the back of my mind, thinking about, well, you know, what about a simple thing like the design of a building? Does huh. that make a difference huh. to who talks to whom about uh, teaching? Exactly. So we just got a paper accepted in the Sociology of Education that actually uh. answers that question. Uh. Now, you won't be surprised location matters yeah, exactly. uh, not just simple proximity you know if you're closer to somebody you're more likely to interact with uh -huh. them, but also uh, in terms of what we call functional zones in other uh -huh. words overlapping uh, if, if my functional zone overlaps with yours in other words your functional zone might be your classroom the copy machine the principal's office hmm. And mine might be the same, but if they overlap, we, uh, that also increases the chances of having an encounter about teaching. Mm -hmm. But what's more I interesting, I think, about the piece is that we begin to theorize how space, physical space, mm -hmm. matters. And it's not just because it, I have to expend less resources to get to talk to you if you're close by, are we sure functional zone? It's also the fact that it increases chance encounters. Huh. And if we know anything about teaching, we know the importance of chance encounters. Okay, the regular grade level meeting we have is fine. We have it every Friday. But if something happened on Tuesday, I might have forgotten it by Friday. Huh. But with somebody close by or an overlapping functional zone, when it happens, I have a chance that, oh, you know what happened this morning? Can you help me think about it? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's very important in a knowledge-intensive mm. enterprise. Like yeah, yeah, school yeah. Another. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.